Hello and welcome back to a new session from the teaching series entitled The Glory of Righteousness. Today we're going to talk about spirit, soul and body. Today we begin the second major chapter of this series of teaching and this chapter is entitled Cleansing the Conscience of Sins. In this session, we will first address the concepts of spirit, soul, and body, and then we will start the discussion about who you are in the spirit. And this will be completed in the next session. The conscience of believers can be cleansed or it can remain clean by not violating it in the first place. However, when, we, when you sin and violate it, the conscience can be cleansed of the guilt of that sin by remembering, meditating, believing, and even speaking out with your mouth four things. First, that you were made righteous in your spirit's nature forever at the moment of your salvation. Second, you are free of condemnation forever even when you still do sinful deeds. Three, your past, present, and future sins have been completely removed at the moment of your salvation. And fourth, that in the reality of the Spirit, if you are truly born again, you cannot even commit another sin ever again. A good understanding about the Spirit, soul, and body of the human being and about their particular roles is of vital importance in the process of cleansing our conscience and in growing spiritually. This teaching has revolutionized my personal life and eliminated some of the frustrations and confusion that I experienced when I read and studied the Word of God. It provided a firm foundation for everything else that the Lord revealed to me along the years about righteousness, conscience, confession of sins, eternal security of salvation, and sanctification. It also helped me get rid of a lot of wrong thinking in my life. I pray that it will do the same for you while listening to this teaching. And I would like to begin this session by reading 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 23 that clearly illustrates the three parts of a human being. People are spirits that have a soul and live in a body. There are many scriptures that reveal the trichotomy of the human being, but 1 Thessalonians 5.23, I believe, is the most clear passage in that direction that doesn't need any other proof. Let's read it together. I'll read from New King James Version. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is so obvious that I don't think that there can be any credible argument against the fact that we humans are made up of a spirit, soul, and body. This is very important because there are some theologies out there that actually believe man is only made up of two parts, which is body and soul. That is probably not a dominant theological position, but as far as practice goes, as far as people in their day-to-day -day living goes, very few people understand the concepts of spirit, soul, and body. Most people confuse soul and spirit as being the same thing, 
and acknowledge only two parts of them, a physical part, as I mentioned earlier, and an emotional, mental, inner part that most people refer to as their personality. And as a matter of fact, if you will take a look in the strong concordance, maybe you heard of it, which is one of the main concordances that people, Christians, use to look up Greek words in the New Testament, it even defines the word spirit or pneuma in Greek as being the immortal soul. And it doesn't make a distinction between those two. My study of the word of God has revealed that there is a very distinct difference between spirit and soul. So I disagree with that Greek definition of what the word pneuma means. It means more than, than the immortal soul. It's talking about the spirit man, the inner part of us, beyond the soul. There are three distinct, distinct parts, spirit, soul, and body. Now, the body is obvious. If you go look in a mirror, that is the part you see immediately. If you were talking to me right now face to face, you would be looking at my body. But you would be speaking to my soul, right? Which is my mental and emotional part. Some people define the soul as being made of mind, will, and emotions. And uh, I think that is certainly true. However, I don't think that is all-inclusive. Uh, there is more to it. I believe that also our conscience that we've been talking about uh, until now is also part of our soul. The soul is basically the personality of a human being. If I were to touch your physical body, you can feel that. But I can also touch you by words. For instance, through this series, the teaching, without me t uh, touching you physically at all, I'm speaking to your soul and it can touch your emotions. It can either make you glad, sad, or angry. You can also say words yourself and hurt people without physically touching them. Every person is in touch with their soulish part as they are with their body part. And it's easy for you to search and check how you feel, whether you are happy or depressed. The body and the soul are two areas that everyone is in touch with constantly, and we really don't need a lot of explanation on that. But the spirit part is a totally different matter. In John 3 verses 1 to 8, when Jesus was talking to Nicodemus, one of the rulers of the synagogue, who came to him by night, Jesus told him that he had to be born again. Nicodemus responded, how can this be? How can a man be born again when he's old? Can he enter in a second time into his mother's womb? In the process of explaining this to him, Jesus said, that which is born of the flesh is flesh and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. And what he was saying was that spirit is spirit and flesh is flesh. And there is no direct connection between the two. They are, of course, interrelated. And I'm going to explain some of that in just a moment. But spirit is spirit and flesh is flesh. You cannot feel your spirit in a physical and natural way. Again, if you want to know how your body is, all you have to do is just think and your body instantly tells you if it's tired or pumped up or your adrenaline is flowing or if you are excited and ready to go for a run. You can pull an inventory instantly and find out exactly how your body is or how it's feeling. You don't even have to think about it. You are constantly being fed that information. 
You can also pull an inventory on your soulish realm and you can know whether, whether you are glad or sad, whether depression is your problem or fear, or if you are worn out mentally and need to take a rest. You are instantly in touch with all that. But you cannot contact your spirit through your emotions or through, your, or through any physical way. The spirit cannot be accessed in any natural way. And herein lies one of the great problems in the Christian life. The spirit, that the spirit is the part of us that was radically changed at the moment of salvation. The spirit is the part of us that God communicates with. And the spirit is the part of us that all the life and the power of God flows through. You cannot just feel and discern spiritual reality and spiritual truth through your normal senses. And if you don't understand that, then when the scripture says that you have the same power in you that raised Christ from the dead, Romans 8, 11, or that you can do the same works that Jesus did, John 14, verse 12 says that, or that you are completely brand new, a brand new creation, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, then you will search your physical body and your mental, emotional personality part. And if you cannot see, taste, hear, smell, or feel what the Bible says about you, then immediately you'll perceive it as a contradiction and feel conflicted inside. You'll start thinking that the Bible is so hard to understand. You will see the disparity between your experience and what, what God's word says. And you might want to throw up your hands in the air and conclude that it's just not true what the Bible says. One of the greatest keys to walking with the Lord for me has been to understand this reality of spirit, soul, and body. And that the spirit realm cannot be seen or felt. The only way to discern and define spiritual truths is through the Bible, through the Word of God. You just need to believe that what God says in His Word about you is true without trying to access those truths through your senses. Jesus said this in John 6, 63. Let's read it together. It's the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. The Word of God is spirit and life. The Word of God reveals to us the spiritual reality. If you want to know what your spirit is like, then you have to go to God's Word to find it out. You cannot just go by an emotion or some type of perception, physical perception. You have to go to God's Word. Here is another passage of scripture, a scripture in James 1 verses 23 to 25 that says the following. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself or herself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty, namely the gospel, and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. The, this passage of scripture is likening the Bible with a mirror that you look into. Not to see your physical face, but to see your spiritual face. To see what you are and who you are in the spirit. 
When you want to see if your hair is combed, what do you do? Did you know that you have never seen your hair? You have never seen your face either, and maybe it might be a shock to you. If you are a woman, you put on makeup in front of a mirror. You are not really looking at your face. What you are doing is looking at a representation, a reflection of your face in a mirror. The truth is that you, with your eyes, have never looked directly into your face. You have always looked at a reflection or a, a representation, but you got to a place where you trusted that. The Word of God is a perfect re reflection of your new spirit. When you want to see if your hair is calm and if your face looks nice, you don't just go by how you feel, right? You cannot just sit there and say, well, I feel that all my makeup is on and my face looks nice. And when I touch my hair, it feels like it's calmed and I'm ready to go. You cannot go by how you feel or think. You have to go look in that mirror and then you trust what you see. It's the same thing with the Word of God. The Word of God gives you a perfect picture of who you are in your spirit. That you are the Word of God made flesh exactly like Jesus was. And it's the only way. You cannot just say, well, if I had the power of God on the inside of me, I would know it. No, you wouldn't. Samson, for instance, didn't know when the Spirit of God, together with his strength, had departed from him. That's what the Bible says. That shows us that he didn't feel something, uh, something special or his power. That which is spirit is spirit, and that which is flesh is flesh. You cannot perceive the spirit or the power through your fleshly senses. It will be like someone saying, well, if my makeup was on, I would know it. I would feel it. You cannot feel that. You have to look at it and go by what you see. It's the exact same thing with the Word of God and your spirit. You have to look at your new spirit through the mirror of the Word, not through your five senses or emotions. In the next few minutes, I would like us to begin to discover together who we are in the Spirit. Who are you in the Spirit? A total transformation has taken place on the inside of every person who has been born again. You can see that in many places in the Bible. 2 Corinthians 5.17 being the cornerstone scripture in that direction. Let's read it together. This is my favorite verse of the whole Bible. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. This verse is saying that the Lord has totally changed you once you came into Christ. It doesn't say that all things are becoming new or that they have the potential of becoming new. It rather says what? That in the past tense that all things have become new. If you don't understand the concept of spirit, soul, and body... You are instantly setting yourself up for confusion, frustration, and ultimately unbelief. That happens because you can tell by process of elimination that this is not talking about your physical body. If you were fat before you got saved, you will still be fat after you, got, you get saved. Your body didn't instantly pass away and all things have become new with it. And this is pretty obvious for everybody. 
The scripture reveals in 1 Corinthians 15 that the corruptible must put on the incorruptible and this mortal body must put on the immortal one. This passage in 1 Corinthians 15 refers to your physical body. Jesus died for the salvation of your body as well. And there's a time coming in the future when you are going to receive a glorified body. Praise the Lord. But at this moment, your body hasn't been saved or renewed. It has been purchased, but not yet redeemed. It's a, little, it's a bit like Groupon coupons, if you know about them. You purchase them, but then you have to redeem them later on. You don't really want those vouchers, right? You only keep them so that you can later on redeem them and take advantage of the things you have purchased through them. Your body has been purchased. Your glorified body has already been purchased through the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. But you are still waiting for the redemption of the purchaser's possession, right? The body has been purchased. The payment has been made. But you still have a corrupted body and you are waiting on an immortal, incorruptible body. Your soul with its mind, will, emotions, and conscience is also not the part of you that got saved. There is a lot of confusion on this because you will hear people often say things like this. Well, man, I'm a soul winner. I came to see a soul saved tonight. In the New Testament, there are only two places talking about soul salvation. And those are James 1.21 and 1 Peter 1 verse 9. And those are not talking about the born again experience. For instance, if a person is discouraged and in her soulish realm, in her emotions, she feels defeated and discouraged. But then she gets into the word of God and begins to believe. She receives the peace and the joy of the Lord. This is soul salvation. But when it comes to being born again, your soul is not the part that gets saved. Our soul can be changed to the degree that we renew our mind, resulting in a change of our attitude and values by the word of God. But salvation hasn't already happened completely, right? It's being saved, it's in the process of happening, and it's contingent upon us renewing our mind. So you can see that your soul is not uh, the part of what has passed away and of the things that have become new. If you were depressed before you got saved, you will still be depressed after you, got, after you get saved. Unless you begin to believe the word of God and change the way your soul thinks. And that certainly can happen and it should happen, but it doesn't automatically happen. And let me state it in this way. If you didn't know math before you got saved, then you don't instantly know math after you get saved. And that applies to all other things. All things like lack of knowledge didn't pass away, right? And all things in your soul realm didn't become new instantly. The soul is not changed instantly, but it's in the process of changing. And yet... 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that if any person is in Christ, she is right now in the present tense, here on earth, a new creation. This is a fact. It's a reality. It's not a promise. The literal translation from Greek of the expression new creation is this, 
a new species of being that never existed before. It's talking about a total transformation. All things have passed away, past tense. All things have become new. It doesn't say they will pass away in the future if we struggle enough or pray and fast enough. This scripture is describing a change that takes place through the new birth, which is not still in process, but it's already done. It's an accomplished fact, a done deal. So by process of elimination, you can see that it's not your body and it's not your soul either that is being changed in this way. That leaves what? Your spirit. Your spirit is the part of you that got totally changed at salvation. When people make Jesus Christ their Lord, there is an instantaneous change that takes place in your spirit. And typically, uh, uh, their body and soul are touched and impacted as well by the change that has taken place in the spirit. But not in a total and complete way. And if you don't understand this, then you will experience disappointment. And you probably did already. You say things like, I thought I was a new person. I thought I was changed. I thought Jesus was going to change everything. And if you, un- if you don't understand that this change takes place in the spirit and has to work its way out into the soul and body, then you immediately fall into unbelief and begin to say, nothing changed, really changed. I'm still the same. I'm still a sinner saved by grace. This may cause some people to seriously doubt whether they were ever saved. The key to all that is to understand that it's the spirit that was totally changed. It's already done. Everything you will ever need in your Christian life is already in your spirit. That is a radical truth. It took me many years to grab hold of this revelation. But you are not in the process of getting anything from God. In your born again spirit, you have everything you will ever need. You have the Word, you have the Holy Spirit, you have the power. It's already there in in its entirety, in its maturity, and in its completeness. Your spirit is perfect and complete. Your spirit is exactly the same this moment as it will be throughout eternity. You are not going to get a new spirit when you go to heaven. Your spirit is right now as perfect, as mature, as complete as Jesus is. And the rest of the Christian life is learning to believe that by looking into the spiritual mirror of the Word of God and believing what it says about you. That is the process of renewing your mind. And as you get your soul in agreement and alignment with what is already present in your spirit, then you will see the physical benefits. You are made up of three parts, spirit, soul, and body. Your spirit is always for God, is on God's side. It's already created in the likeness and the image of God. It has everything that God has. Then you have your soul and your body as well. If your soul gets in agreement with your spirit, then there are two against one. Those two parts in agreement will dominate the third part, the physical body. And the physical body will then experience the life, victory, and power that is in your spirit. But if your soul goes in agreement with your physical body and is dominated by what it can see, taste, hear, smell, or feel, then it will stop the life that is in your spirit from ever manifesting itself into the physical realm. 
your soul needs to perceive and align itself with what has taken place on the inside of you, meaning in your spirit, so that your spirit can flow through your soul to get into your body and then into the physical world. And here I prepared the functional diagram that depicts the spirit, soul, and body as three concentric circles. Uh, this diagram is an effort to better illustrate the relationship between spirit, soul, and body. And if you notice, the outer circle, the biggest one, is your body. It's the part you can see and feel. Then in the second inner circle, smaller, you have a part that cannot be seen but can be felt. That's your soul. Notice how your soul touches both your body and the spirit. Your spirit is the third inner circle, the smaller inner circle. Although it's the center of who you are, it, can, it cannot be seen or felt. Most people don't recognize the fact that their spirit is the core of their being. They function primarily out of the soulish part of them, believing that what they think and feel is reality. To them, something is just not real if it can't be perceived through their five natural senses. Attempting to be honest, like they say, they search their physical, emotional, and mental realms for God's power. If they can't perceive the power at those levels, then they conclude that they must not have it. They may perceive their souls to be the core of who they are, but God's word says differently. Your spirit is the real you. And James 2 verse 26 says this, For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. The life-giving part of you is the spirit. The spirit is where your life comes from. When God created Adam, he breathed into him the breath of life. Genesis 2 7 says this, And the man became a living soul. The word breathe in the Hebrew is the word for wind, ruach. And it was literally translated spirit in other places like Job 26 verse 4 and Proverbs 20 verse 27. We use this word for spirit, ruach. God created a physical body. Everything was there, but it didn't have any life until he breathed into him and imparted spirit into Adam's body. The Spirit is your life-giving part. John 6, 63 says this and 1 Corinthians 15, verse 45. Since your life comes from your spirit, is the innermost circle of the three. Notice also how your spirit is completely surrounded by your soul. It has no direct access to your physical body. Extraordinary. So today, we lay the groundwork for the concepts of spirit, soul, and body and began to talk a little bit about who we are in the Spirit, who you are in the Spirit, who I am in the Spirit. And in the next session, we will continue to dig deeper and see who we are in the Spirit. Until next time, may God multiply His grace and peace in every aspect of your life. Amen. Amen.